Hello, welcome to Security Insights. I'm Gunnar Peterson, CISO at Forder, a trust platform for digital commerce. Our guest today is Wendy Nather. Welcome to you, Wendy. Oh, thanks for having me, Gunnar. It's great to be here. Wendy, it's it's fair to say you've worn a lot of hats in your career. Is that is that fair to say? It's true. It is true. Yeah. So so Wendy leads the advisory CISO at Cisco for the people who don't know, and she was previously a CISO in the public and private sectors. She led the information security practice at the analyst firm Four Five One, and she was also research director at the retail ISAC. And, and is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Cyber Statecraft Initiative, as well as the Strauss Center for International Security and Law at the University of Texas at Austin, among many, many other accomplishments. Um, so, Wendy, it's great to have you here. If I, one of the things I've always appreciated about your career is, is the fact that I, I think, and I remember when I first met you and somebody said, you don't know Wendy, neither. What, what the heck? And uh <laughs> And I, I think the thing that gets you a lot of respect, uh, certainly from, from the community, for myself, is being able to distill what matters and, and share what works, um, which I think are two really underappreciated themes in our, in our community. Um, and I'm curious, before we dive into today's topic of, of SBOMs, Software Bill of Materials, you know, what, what do you think about, what did you learn in things like the Retail ISAC and other groups that you've been in? where you can share information across communities and across groups. Like what, what is uniquely helpful about that in, in our world of information security in, in your opinion? Um, well, one of the things that I learned uh, that's very important is that trust happens between individuals, not organizations. And so everything that you want to nurture about any kind of information sharing, whether it's you're mentoring somebody or you're sharing some lessons learned from an incident or you're sharing threat intelligence or anything like that, is that you have to start with the people involved and you have to be ready to accommodate uh, what both parties need. And so some some of the sharing can come you know, in the form of memes, it can come in the form <laughs> Of, um, of long stories, first this happened and then we did this and then that happened and everything. Um, and a lot of it has to do with uh, intermediaries sometimes. Like um, at the retail ISAC, I would get a call from somebody saying, well, we, we saw this anonymized data from somebody, but we have questions, can we talk to them? So I'd go back to the original submitter and say, hey, you know, Target wants to talk to you. Is it okay if I tell them who you are? And they say, oh yeah, we like Target. So there's a lot of um, messy intermediary things going on between any kind of information sharing. Um, the second thing that I learned a lot of is just how many constraints there are in every environment. So anything that you would think would work just fine that conventional wisdom says, oh yeah, you should be doing that. I've seen a place where it just couldn't work you know, for, for really good reasons. So that's the other thing is, is how, how messed up things are. Well, and uniquely messed up, right? Like I think the context really matters and what matters in a retail ISAC is probably not the same thing that matters in the FS ISAC uh, across, you know, if you've made the, the top five list of each, it's probably a different, four of the five are probably very different. So 
Um, I, I do like the, your point too about first this happened and then ha that happened because today's topic, uh, and I, I like to sort of deep dive into one one area with uh, with interesting thinkers in the space on this on this podcast. And today's topic is a great example, Software Bill of Materials or SBOM. Um, that's something that probably didn't really matter and then it really mattered. Uh, or, or maybe it always mattered and people finally realized it mattered. But in any case, it's something that had been around for a long time as a concept. And I think a couple of events happened that really catalyzed the efforts of you know people like Alan Friedman and, and things and people like that that have been out there doing the, the hard work, digging in the garden for years, planting the seeds so that when when the focus came along, we were we were there and able to act on it. But for people who don't know, um, you know, SBOMs are really about enumerating uh, and making a formal definition of all the things that go into building a, a piece of software. And it, it makes sense intuitively that if you read the label on your breakfast cereal uh, every morning, why would you not do the same thing for the software that you click on and the software you run your business on and your healthcare and your financial systems and everything else? So so I guess my question for you out, out of the gate to open this up um, on on S bombs, Wendy is like to me. We've been doing security for a while, both of us, um, and and this, we've seen things come and go in terms of things that were important seeming but didn't get the focus, and then all of a sudden, you know, SIM matters everywhere because it gets encoded into PCI. Uh, let's say as an example. Um, so there, this isn't the first time something went from good idea to we have to do this now. Um, and, you know, why why do you think that SBOMs, you know, there's an executive order out there, there's vendors competing in the space, you know, what, what do you think the catalysts are, you know, why does SBOMs matter and why do they matter now? Boy, you know, I don't, I don't actually know. Um, I, I'm very aware of the, the spotlight of attention in the InfoSec mm -hmm. community and, you know, the moving spotlight shines and having shown moves on and uh, nor all that thy piety nor wit will never mind. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, every so often the spotlight will turn to another thing and we go, oh my God, we've got to do something about this. Have we solved the other things that the spotlight was originally on? No, but we, you know, are chasing that spotlight across the stage and around and around uh, every so often. So why now? Uh, probably because of the, you know, the supply chain attacks that were the right combination of widespread scope, interest, sexiness, um, you know, because there's a lot of cloak and dagger involved in uh, supply chain attacks. And uh, I just think you had all the right ingredients for the public to take an interest in it. And uh, that's about all I can, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I think I think those seem like key ingredients uh, to to move something to the top of the list. Um, I think one of the things that you that you hit on there, as it relates to the supply chain um, in your day job, advising CISOs and security decision makers, if you can if you can put yourself in their shoes for a moment and and you know move beyond the theory and 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 how do how do uh, organizations get value out of SBOMs. I, I know you recently published a paper um, on the Atlantic Council 
uh, where you enumerated a few use cases. And I sort of, I think uh, it'd be fun to step through each of those use cases because the the concept of enumerating all of the components is it's a nice piece of information, but is it useful um, is, is a second question. And I think one of the things your paper did a, did a great job at is talking about four really discreetly different types of value you can get out of an SBOM, two, two of which I think incident response and, and vulnerability management are core InfoSec use cases. Maybe maybe we could start with those and start with incident response as a as a use case. Like how, if, if you're a CISO at, uh, at a retail company or some, or someplace else or security architect decision maker how, how do you think about sbombs in, as it relates to creating value and in incident response oh uh, well going back to your original question why why are sbombs even even valuable to begin with um i, I think that the overall answer is visibility and that's one of the most basic things about infosec that uh, you know, it, when I bring out a pyramid, if I need a pyramid for a talk or anything, generally the bottom layer uh, that you need for a program is knowing what you have. And it just sounds very basic and, and yet it is one of the hardest things to do, knowing what you have. And this is another, just another case of knowing what you have, except at the software level. And it's the kind of thing where if if it's already done because your engineering team or your infrastructure team has already done it, maybe the InfoSec team doesn't have to do it. But I think a lot of InfoSec teams are in the position where it hasn't been done. So technically maybe it shouldn't be an InfoSec job, but if nobody else has done it, then the firefighters have to build the map of the building before they go running into the building to fight the fire kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Whoever Whoever's on call for, for fighting the fires, is the one who's gonna be most motivated, most interested in knowing what's there and knowing the lay of the land. When, when you respond to anything, you gotta know what's there. And so visibility is top of the list for any CISO that I talk to when I ask them, why do you want an SBOM? What are you gonna do with it? They really need the visibility and, um, and that's great. And yet at the same time, uh, my next question is always, well, then what are you gonna do with that information? Once you have it, you know, and and in some cases for incident response, as, as you brought up, um, for anything like log4j, at, at first the first question is always, do we have that? Are we affected by it? And then what are we going to do about it? So just even asking, do we have that? And it's at a level where we, by default, generally don't have enough information. We don't have that visibility. It's like taking a group of people and saying, how many people are in the room? Okay, great. Now, what's their C-reactive protein levels in each of those people? There might be a good reason for knowing, but it's suddenly a level of granularity that nobody really knows how to handle yet. Um, we're, gener we're finding out how to generate that level of visibility but translating it to something useful on the consumer side is something that we're still working on, as you know. Yeah, and I think, I do think that those use cases like, uh, or, or the threats that we saw around Log4j, around struts um, a few years ago, around OpenSSL, which was, I think, a, a near miss for a lot of folks uh, yeah. this fall. Um, those are all areas where SBOM has continued to gain credence of, a, not just a useful tool, but a very practical and timely tool. Um, so one of those ones where, um, you know, the, uh, every pen tester has their top, you know, 
their top tools, they have to have their end map, they have to have their SQL map, whatever whatever it is. Every everybody has their preferred tools. I think S bombs are really working their way up the list of like this is one of the first, if not the first place I'm going to go when something like this happens, which is a a pretty unique position in the industry. I don't think you know there there, there aren't that many tools that can gain that that status of. I'm going here first, um, and, and then I'll go check the other places. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Right, and and I think that this also, the concept of SBOMs came along at a good time where uh, the content of software is more variable than ever because so mm. much of it is assembled now rather than being written and assembled from a wide variety of components and sources. So I think all of that came together to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've been um, you know, making this patchwork of our software. Now you can't just go to your engineering department and say, okay, what's in here? Because nobody knows. So that's, I think, the other reason why SBOMs have become so critically important right now. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think, so the supply of incidents, um, unfortunately, is evergreen. Uh, we mm -hmm. have we have a evergreen supply of incidents. Uh, more more of them are in the sweet spot that uh, that play to SBOM strengths. Another thing we have as an evergreen supply is vulnerabilities in the industry. Um, and and you talked a little bit in the paper about about vulnerability management and how SBOMs help there. Um, one of the things I find interesting too is everybody who is in the security industry is used to having a signal to noise problem with vulnerabilities. That's that's nothing new, uh, but prioritizing inside of those and making sense of of what is in there is a is quite a challenge. How, how do you see how do you see SBOMs helping in vulnerability management in general? Helping in in prioritize uh, prioritizing what what to go after first. Well, I think a lot of lessons that we've already learned from vulnerability management in general in our own software is going to help us uh, now figure out what to do with these uh, presumably external components that have been incorporated um, and, and dependencies that go outside of the organization. I remember going through lots of vulnerability reports together with Matt Tassaro when we worked together uh, and, and trying to prioritize and slice them in many different ways, like what can we fix most efficiently that's going to give us the biggest bang for the buck? What impacts the most critical sensitive data? Uh, you know, what, what's un, in part of a system that we actually control? What isn't? Um, th there are so many things that you can, ways that you can prioritize vulnerability management. The other issue is what are you going to be able to remediate in what time frame and can you keep mm. track of it? So a lot of times you're going to look at something and say, well, we can't update this until we update this other thing and that's not going to happen for six months. Or if we update this, this is going to break the stack that's been certified by our vendor and we have to wait for them to certify the updated components and that's going to take a certain amount of time. So there's a lot of project management that goes into in, into that sort of uh, vulnerability management. And SBOMs are not gonna be any easier. In fact, I think they'll be more complicated because um, you'll find vulnerabilities and go, okay, who's supposed to fix this? And, and it turns into negotiation and within the open source community or wherever you're, yeah, you're getting it from. And then saying, well, we can't wait, we're gonna fix it ourselves. 
but we can't fix these two other instances of this in our environment because of dependencies. We'll have to do that later. So again, I think it just complicates the problem space uh, for good reasons, but it's something that we're going to have to work hard on, on getting a handle on. I think those are those are all great points to which I'd add one other. In a lot of the cloud container worlds, the, the SBOMs are changing almost every time a developer yeah. hits the keyboard, hits, right. hits enter. Um, uh, and I think that's a, you know, it's, they can be point in time specific in, in to a very real degree where days and weeks uh, will will matter. And if you're if you're going back to remediating vulnerabilities or dealing with incidents, knowing when the software was built, just that that one simple piece, uh, the the temporal element is quite quite useful too. So, and knowing even when it was in use, that's the other issue for incident response and forensics. Do you have enough logging data to be able to tell when that particular version? was in use in your environment, assuming that you discover a breach, you know, months later, um, it, because it, it's not always immediate. So having to find out whether that it was in use, whether that function was even being called, in other words, did it have a material impact on the probability of, of you having had a breach? Um, those are, are also questions that we still need to deal with. Yes, and I, I really like how you how you framed it. And the again, back to my uh, opening comments, you know how you how you kind of distill into the the what matters pieces because for better like and for worse, words. I like small words. <laughs> <laughs> I I come out of the sort of Ross Anderson school, and I, I have my brain is sort of trained to think threat and then countermeasure and then test case, and I just I just sort of have that hardwired into my cognition and, and SBOMs are a great example of where starting from like the pyramid view that you talked about earlier, starting from visibility out actually gets you into a different a different space because it's not like there's a specific threat that drives you to an SBOM, but an SBOM is a fantastic enabling uh, technology to help you reap benefits across a whole bunch of different use cases, which makes it makes it super interesting in a different way of thinking and solving problems, which we we definitely need in this industry. Um, so, so two other use cases, I wanted to go off of the InfoSec track for a moment and, and back to your paper. Uh, two of the things you talked about, I think it's fair to say that information security programs don't always get classed as, oh, you're the most business focused department in our whole company. Sometimes we might some information security departments might be saying, you know, are, are you aligned with the business as much as you could be? Um, and one of the things I appreciated in your paper was uh, the talk of, of how SBOMs can help procurement. Um, mm -hmm. And so that is an area where we're rolling up our sleeves and supporting uh, a more efficient business and, and a, a more focused business. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the role that SBOMs play in, in procurement? Yeah, and um, you know, I should mention that in, inside of Cisco, we've been working with SBOMs for internal purposes for many years, and this is one of the use cases that just popped right out. Is you know, did you know a company the size of Cisco can end up buying duplicate um, instances of software? And you know, are we spending too much? Uh, can we consolidate all these licenses or? 
um, is this the, did somebody incorporate something with the wrong license that legally speaking we cannot use? Uh, all those sorts of issues that are of more interest to the COO and the legal team. And that's a great hook to bring in the usability of SBOMs and say, you know, would you just like to know, um, you know, what our software licensing situation is? And, and can we put in, um, let, let's say, easy to make decisions before procurement that we are never, ever going to adopt uh, something that has the wrong kind of software license on it? Are we never, ever going to procure anything that has its sources in a country that we don't like or things like that? Um, that that's a pretty understandable use case that the business can get behind. And it's a good place to start because those are yes and no questions that you can agree on with your legal team. And you can stop a procurement or stop the integration of some open source software right from the beginning with that sort of list. So I guess what I'm hearing it for, for the other CISOs on the call who are doing their budgets for 2023 right now is they can get their procurement partners to pay for the SBOM software and they can use it for all these other ancillary benefits. That would is that, be nice, that, wouldn't it? Is that, wouldn't it? Is that how yeah, it works? Great. It, it reminds me of a time when we got some database monitoring software and we were running it and um, we found that there was, uh, and this was in the security team, and we found that there was a query that was taking 23 minutes to return. And so I went down the hall to the, the uh, DB admins and said, you know, did you know this is going on? And one of, the, um, one of the project managers happened to be there and she said, oh, that explains why we're having performance problems with that application. <laughs> so you never know what sort of visibility information is gonna be useful to other parts of the organization. You should always be on the lookout for that. Yeah, and that really ties to the the fourth use case. The the last use case you mentioned in the paper was was ecosystem mapping and understanding your dependencies and things like that. You know, is there anything you want to add to the value of ecosystem mapping that we that we haven't talked about so far from from the uh, SBOM perspective? Well, one of the things that we you know, could talk a little bit more about is the use of SBOMs for threat intelligence specifically. Mm. Um, I know of one startup called Ion Channel that. Um, uh, scans open source repositories and tracks the um, the contributors across the ecosystem mm -hmm. and you know can dig things up like did you know that this person who contributed this module to this open source project also is known to have contributed to some malware groups projects are you sure you want to use their software and that's the sort of thing that we used to joke about where, you know, if we found a vulnerability in some software and we know who wrote it. We'd go look at their LinkedIn to see where else they worked. And then we could go look at the, the software from those other companies because they might have the same vulnerability written into them. So looking at a computer developer-centric view um, and, and using SBOMs to inform that who is contributing to your software is it can be every bit as important as you know where did you get this or what's in it yeah that's a, that is a great point and uh, definitely one to uh, one that warrants a lot of investigation so i think the thing the thing that that the paper does really really well is it talks about um it talks about the the value proposition the value that organizations get out of uh using s-bombs I'll put some links in the um, 
in the show notes about tools and, and other things for, for people who want to get started and looking at some of the, you know, Cyclone DX and SIFT and some of the other tools that people are uh, potentially interested in, as well as a link to the paper. Uh, what what are some some of the other things that you think of that you would recommend as next places to go for people who are looking to get started with, with SMOM? Oh, really good question. Well, the, there, there is that paper that I and my colleagues um, at the Atlantic Council wrote together uh, for use cases, but I have to go back to Alan Friedman and just, you know, give him a salute again for all the work uh, that he has One for me too. For, for yeah. I mean, how long, how long has that guy been on this? I don't know. Uh, you know, he was working on multi-party vulnerability disclosure and, and moved on to S-bombs. And he always tackles the hard projects yeah. and does a lot of the dirty work so that we don't have to. Yeah. Uh, by the time yeah. we get it, it's in, it's in a pretty good shape to, to go and start doing something with it. So um, I really like that. There, there are really, there are lots of good projects out there. Um, there's uh, the Git bomb project. Mm. Um, and uh, let me think of some other ones that, that people want to look at. But There's a fair amount of OWASP and dependency check and a yeah. lot of others too. So There is. And, and again, but I have to keep driving back to the question of this is great stuff, but what are you going to do with it? What right. decisions are you going to make once you have it? And I think that's just knowing may not be enough. And in fact, if you mm. know or you suspect that something is being used, but you can't prove it, uh, this is where your management's going to get really upset because do you have to disclose or do you not have to disclose if you get enough information, but not enough to really pin it down. So always right. be careful in asking for more data because it may make your life worse. Well, I, I yeah, and I, I think, um, I, I, well, so I, I'm glad that, that Alan Friedman is on our side. Yes. And and we have people like that. And, and I'm glad for all of the reasons that you just said that you're on our side too, Wendy. Um, I know I know you also have a little bit of light verse, versifying that you've done along these lines. Would, was, is there anything else you'd like to share on the topic of S-Bombs? Perhaps <laughs> something set to a, you know, I don't know, Gilbert and Sullivan or, uh, or, or Sea Shanty, perhaps. Sea Shanty, perhaps. Well, the first thing when I started looking at S-Bombs was, of course... What do you do with a vendor? SBOM, what do you do with a vendor? SBOM. And I could not get it out of my head. So the first talk I gave, which was in an OWASP event, uh, it had exactly that title. And um, yeah, if you can sing about it, then maybe you can solve it. I don't know, that's, that's a maxim I just made up. I think you can make it stick, and that's uh, in in people's brains, and that's that's a that's an art in and of itself in this uh, space where we're submerged with ideas and cog and and marketing concepts and architectures. It's hard to tell the architecture from the architecture sometimes. Mm -hmm. So making sure that the important stuff really sticks is is a real gift. You certainly have that, and Wendy Nather can't thank you enough for joining oh. joining the uh, podcast today. Thank you so much, Gunnar.